0: Hey, yo, what's up, guys? This is Dion Brown. You are watching and/or listening to Man vs. Brand. All right, so there are times where um, I think we all need to find support. And, and, and by support, I mean we need to figure out who are the right subject matter experts. Um, Who not only want to connect with us as a client um, provider relationships, but also who are very much committed um, to helping us to do the work in order to produce the best thing possible. Now, that could be therapy. uh, That could be uh, physical training. It also can occur in authorship. Uh, There's a space where I think as we start to uh, tell our stories, as we start to build platforms, as we start to share knowledge that might be your grandmother's recipe from 1939, or it might be a telling of your own life. Um, There is a network, community, and support out there that can allow for that type of investment in you and high quality product to be produced. Now, is getting support as an author the same as ghostwriting? No, because ultimately you're you're a great teller of your own story, right? But, But what someone can do is help you curate it, to form it, to structure it in a way that not only are you telling your story, but that you are telling your story in a way that in fact impacts the reader in the way that you intended. And I think that's, that's the super important thing about what we do. Are you saying what you're trying to say, All right? And, and when you are, there is something beautiful that happens because not only have you invested your energy, your time, your resources into producing this thing, but people are able to receive it in the way that you intended and then take from it what applies to them, understand it and contextualize it in their life, or just read it and simply enjoy the fact that the story was uh, shared. So I have with me Tiaia, Smart, yeah. Uh, okay. She is a uh, an editor, uh, a book coach, a self-publishing guru. She's running workshops. She's building platforms. Man, this woman works. All right, she mm-hmm. she's on her stuff. There's a list of accreditations that she has in publications that are important and relevant, um, to the conversations that we have now about the state of humanity, the state of culture, the state of women. And she created her own publication, uh, which I think is important because you can't talk about entrepreneurs if you're not really in that space. Otherwise you're freelancing and that's great. You can build a business off of that, but there's something about interesting about Speaking to someone who is building their own platform, who has built their own product, who has created their own services. So if you're interested in having a conversation with me, talking to her, asking her questions while I try to figure out my book, which I'm still trying to figure out, uh, then I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you get something great from it. I wanna say thank you guys for listening. I want you guys to enjoy the conversation we're about to have in five, four, three, two, one. Yo, it's 2023 and I have a mind blowing theory to share. Are you game for it? Let's go. You are listening to Man Vs. Brand, meaning you're a man or a woman and you're a brand. Or you're a man or woman who is leading and making a brand. Or maybe you're in fact a part man, part brand cyborg and killing it as a Terminator. With 20 years expertise in guiding and coaching, I'm having the conversations for man's, brands, women's, and corporate conglomerates like Skynet. Hasta la vista, baby. And I wanna introduce you to Tiya. Tia, what's going on? How are you?
1: Hey, Dion, I'm good. What's going on? How are you doing today?
0: I am good. I am good. I am glad for this conversation. I feel like um, we've done this once before. Uh, <laughs> guys, we did this once before. The uh, recording got lost. Long story. Um, but, um, I reached out, uh, and I asked her like, would she come on again? Right. And and I was like a 50% shot. I I think maybe she didn't see the email. So I sat there for a while. I was like, dude, you really messed up, man. Like, man, you had a great guest and she gave you a hundred percent and now you lost it. And now I don't know. And then she, she wrote back like, of course I will. I didn't (laughs) do this. And it was like, my happiest moment because there's certain content I think that you produce uh TIA that you really want people to get. Yes. And, and we don't get it, then it becomes uh uh man, I'm glad that I was that I got the knowledge, right? But like, man, it would have been amazing to be able to share and broadcast this. So I'm happy because you're back in a space where we can have. Not just the conversation we had before, but but talk about what's what's timely and relevant and going on with you right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the first thing that I thought when I saw your email was that technology sometimes it fails us. And so I can't be mad at that, right? I'm fine with redoing the conversation. Maybe it was meant to be this way. Maybe we were meant to talk about something different. So let's go. And
0: what's beautiful is at the point before, I didn't really have the, the, the audio visual layout that I have now. So now-
1: Oh you yeah, know, you got the, the great intro and everything. Exactly.
0: So so now it's slightly different. Now we're we're, we're going to attack this on two fronts. And so I'm really happy about that. So why don't- you tell a bit of your story of how um of of why you got into editing and then why telling your story and self-publishing and then helping people to self-publish has been a mission of yours
1: sure like my career started uh 20 something years ago uh 25 plus years ago to be exact I started in the magazine industry. And uh, back then it was like magazines were kind of like the be all ends all. I grew up on magazines, right? Like they don't have the same significance, I think, in our culture as they did in the past. So growing up on magazines, it was like that was our social media, right? (laughs) It's just we didn't, we didn't have Instagram, we didn't have TikTok, none of that. We had magazines. And so Uh, I always wanted to write for Essence magazine. That was like on my dream board, my vision board for a really long time. And I ended up getting an internship there uh, when I was in college and I was thirsty, I was hungry. I told everybody, they asked me, you know, they're like being polite, they're like, what are you gonna do when you graduate from uh, college? And I'm like, duh, work here, I want a job here, right? And so that really started my, I did get a job there Shortly after I graduated college, and when I say there, I mean Essence Magazine. I got a job there shortly after I graduated. And that was really like my entry into magazine publishing. And from there, I've worked at Latina Magazine. I co-founded a magazine called Juicy with my soul friend uh, Paula T. Renfro. I worked for Double XL, the hip hop magazine. So I've worked in magazines and websites for a really long time. And the way that I made the pivot into self-publishing really was kind of by accident. Um, I was I, I, I was laid off. So I've been laid off three times. Once in my 20s, twice in my 40s. And that last time I was like, mm, my, mother, my mother actually said, well, now you have time to write the book that you said you wanted to write. And of course that wasn't really what I wanted to hear. Cause I was like, I got to get another job. Like I need to get the checks rolling in. And she was like, yes, you do, but you can freelance and you can write this book. So I ended up self-publishing a book. And again, it was, by accident. It wasn't like this was on the plan. I I was looking to be traditionally published. I had been in a couple other books before, but I decided to self-publish a book for teen girls. And that from there is where all the questions came from a lot of people like, oh, how did you do this? Your cover looks professional. It doesn't look like it was homemade. And in 2015, we didn't have all the resources that we have now to self-publish. So that's a... abbreviated version of my story.
0: Very right, cool. So, um, man, Essence, uh, how was that experience? Like just to sort of framework it because um, I, uh, a friend of mine, uh, I believe Zarmer, Zarma Hardiman used to work for Essence, Emil Wib- Emil was mm-hmm. editor for a very long time mm-hmm. uh, over there um, and 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 there were very few magazines at that point that were really sort of uplifting this specific demographic. You had Ebony, uh, you had Jet, mm-hmm. you had Essence. Then you had, like you were saying, more of the like um, hip hop ones like Double uh, XL, uh, The Source. Right. Um, I think Damon Dash had America right there are all there there's this like sort of proliferation of of magazines and and advertisement and um and advertisement guys like literally came in the pages of the right. it's so hard to explain to newer people like it's like it's not like a drop down it's not like an ad that's intrusive like you literally right. were excited about the advertisement yeah. um, so so what was that experience like to work in a place that you dreamt of, because I think that also is really important in, in finding affirmation and validity in, in, in a business specifically one in which a, a woman of color can tell their story and see other stories and experience success, even if the magazine industry wasn't successful, but just success for the time that that thing was, was an important part of culture.
1: Yeah, it was an amazing experience because it was a training ground for me. So imagine graduating from college. It was my second job after graduating from college, but my first job in media. So I had accepted a job to pay the bills. Right. But then when the opportunity at Essence came, I left. So I only was in that first job, maybe I think for maybe like three months. And then I zipped over to Essence. So it was a a beautiful experience to be able to have the training ground that I dreamt of, Right. I had no idea that the women that I would meet, the editors, the experiences that I would have, the travel that I would get to have. And just to be able to learn under like really seasoned editors, people who have written books, people who wrote cover stories. It was an amazing experience because I now got to soak up all of that. And not just from one person, but I was an editorial assistant to three different women. So that meant three different personalities, three different editing styles, right? Three different levels of expectation. And so that's something that I think that a lot of people who get into uh, journalism now, whether they're going to magazines or they're going to maybe like a digital platform, they don't necessarily have that level of training that the old heads like myself got back in the day. And so there's that gift of being able to learn under someone first before you're thrown out into the ocean to do it yourself.
0: Yeah. Like, and and not just, you know, not just the editors, right. Which I think oftentimes go unsung, right. Do a lot of the work. Right. But like, even just like the Betty Smiths of the world, right. Who you, you just see um, as a person who transitions something like writing uh, and contribution and then r- literally build platforms based on that start right and, and based on being unapologetic in their story right and and becoming multidisciplined for all of the the work that you put in right everything that you're describing working for this editor then changing up styles working for this person right you get to sort of experience a spectrum mm-hmm. of of what it's like to operate in a space. And then when you're able to then take those things and then co-found your own or decide to launch, you also can pull from like this almost multi-discipline, multi-varied experience. Right. So that whoever you're working with, you've, you've been through now enough styles and had your own ownership that you can talk to a wide base of people because you have that now, that set of experience where if you just worked for one magazine for 15 years and then hopped out and said, I'm gonna teach you how to do some stuff, you might be really stuck in this one specific way of doing
1: it. Yeah, absolutely correct.
0: All right, so you uh, so you go through that experience, um, you launch or co-found Juicy. Uh, what's the thing that you learned Uh, in dropping your own publication that you didn't know going into it?
1: Uh, well, for anyone who ever worked at a startup and I don't care what you are starting, you are starting from ground zero. So you don't you have to build a team. You have to figure out, OK, the magazine is going to be this many pages. But what are the columns? What are the feature stories? What's going to go on the cover? And so you are really building the entire criteria, the rubric, the style for how this magazine is going to be executed, right? So when you come into a magazine that already exists or even a website for that matter that already exists, you know how things go. You have your sections, you know what's going to lead. But when you are at a startup, you literally don't know, right? So you can do send out your surveys and get some information from people. But because you're so new, everything is trial and error. And that isn't a bad thing. It is... Sometimes you have these happy accidents where you have uh, an issue that sells that you weren't expecting to sell. Right. Or you have a section that or a story that really struck a nerve that you weren't even thinking that it was going to be that controversial. And so, again, these happy accidents, you learn from them and then you try to. Um, replicate certain things over and over again, right? Because you want to have a certain, if you're trying to get press or if you're trying to get the reader's attention, you try to do some, you try to do the things that you know are going to keep people coming back to you over and over again.
0: Yeah, because I I think it's important, right? Because um, whether the magazine industry as it was comes back uh, and I'll argue that everyone thought that PR was gone because social media came and digital space happened. And now, PR is booming again because the people who thought that they should be delivering their own message on social media now realize that they should probably stay off the platform and let a professional deal with it. Right. Um, so, so, so there is these spaces where there's this sort of, um, that thing is antiquated and then it comes back, but sometimes it doesn't right. Like I think the same thing, like with Apple watches, right? Everyone's like, oh my God, get, I need that. I need a Fitbit, I need whatever. Now everyone's like, "No, nah, I want a traditional analog watch. I like the look of it. I like the, right? Like like things that we ne- we deem and we like say like, oh, those things are done, right? Like those things are, you know, are, are no longer relevant, right? They come back. So i um, not sure if magazines are gonna have that resurgence but I think to your point, um, website development, content development, if you're, you're planning on getting into that space, um, even the, you know, even the, I don't even read these things, even the media takeout type stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shout out to, to, to y'all folks. I don't read y'all because I just don't. But um, those things also have a system behind it. I mean, a lot of people just think, you, you, you just pull in a lot of stories, but there's research and algorithms and you're looking at what's been clicked on the most. You're looking at what's gotten the most engagement and you lean into that stuff. So just that articulating that point about if you're going to start it website, whatever book series, whatever, right. Like you're also want to you also want to be flexible enough to, to get to the happy, errors that help and change your business but you also want to look at the analytics and see what's doing well who can i leverage to help me who can support me as a contributor you do all that stuff because um it's almost impossible to do alone
1: yeah i mean the the thing that i love about how media itself has grown right so i'm not just talking about magazines i'm talking about media in general, social media, all of it um, encompassed in that is that what you have the the data to rely on to inform the content, which is what I was saying that we didn't necessarily have an algorithm or right? Or immediate metrics back then to tell us, right? Some of it was like gut, some of it was uh newsstand sales that would let you know that, oh, this is a, this is great. This is a bestseller. This celebrity, when you put this celebrity on the cover, it's going to do numbers, right? This celebrity kind of not so much, right? Or it depends. Maybe it's because the person had a film coming out, right? So those are the things that were kind of the barometer back in the day so now when you're putting out content then and here's the thing I don't know that magazines will go back to the same relevance that they have before I think the challenge is to reinvent the importance of them by having maybe like ancillary products, like maybe events or bringing some of the sections to life so that people can um, have that interaction with them. Right. So I think that I think about like essence has the essence festival. There are yep. people who've attended the festival that didn't even know that there was a magazine. Right. Cause I've talked to young people and I'm like, oh yeah, y'all yeah, go to the festival. And I was like, yeah, I used to work for that magazine. And they were like, wait, what magazine? And I'm like, you do know that there's a whole engine behind that. Right. So um, what, I, what, I'm, what I want to say is that storytelling, no matter the form, will always be relevant. We can do it through magazines. We can do it through websites, social media. We can do it through ads. We can do it through PR. Storytelling will always be relevant. So you will always need people to tell those stories. You'll need, always need people to tell them in the various formats, whether it's 500 words on a website, 30 seconds in a commercial, right? 180 characters on a tweet will always need people to tell the story.
0: Well, so, so I, I believe you're right. A hundred percent, hundred percent agree. Um, I have some predictions and then we're going to move on to what sure. you're doing in the authorship space. First is at some point in the future, don't know when it's going to happen 2030, 2035, people are going to want, and I don't know if you guys remember this from back in the day, you got to be a little bit older guys. Uh, younger people, you're going to listen to this and go, it sounds really fun. Actually, you used to be able to take full spreads out of a magazine and take them out the magazine and put them on your wall and you would have this wall, this, this physical wall, not like a social media wall, which you can forget about and move on from. It's not like things in your profile picture. You used to be able to have a wall in your room of, Mm -hmm. of everyone that you thought was amazing and you would wake up to them. Um and and there was something about um about the curation process that I think now things like SoundCloud does definitely social media um uh and and other resources do. But there's something about the physicality of that that was like a phenomenon that was yeah. really unconnected to magazines itself. It was more connected to almost this kind of inter this non-intrusive one-sided fandom relationship that you would have with like artists and people. And so I think at some point, someone's gonna want to start getting their posters back on their wall, that's prediction one. Prediction two is is, 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 is an agree with your point, which is I think that um, also at some point, um, people are gonna get interested in um, in storytelling, but storytelling um, where it's not a sound bite, it's a full, like now, I don't know if you've seen this, um, Taya, but a lot of like
1: Taya? news
0: report, t- Taya, sorry, um, <laughs> is, um, uh, I- I'm-, I'm in two thoughts right now, um, is they're now doing a lot of timelining, especially with like Twitter, and all that stuff, like a lot of it isn't just saying what was said in a moment, but also Mm -hmm. giving you the broader story, which is in essence, what news and what magazines used to do, right? It's not just about taking that one clip, it's also about creating a timeline and then putting that into context. And there's a very, that's very different than just, I'm gonna play a video for you and everyone comment in the bottom as to what you think about it. I think that there has been this intentional push to tell full stories um, and tell them in an unbiased way to allow someone to come up to their own decision-making, which I think we've lost a bit, I think, in the era of social media, because you really just hear the side of the story that whoever is posting it wants you to hear, like whatever.
1: I was, and not to interrupt you, but I was gonna say that the thing is, is that we have to, Respect the mediums for what they have to offer and understand that someone's tweet or someone's post or someone's post on Instagram or TikTok video, that's not the end of it, right? Often that's the beginning because we know that sometimes people tweet misinformation. We know that sometimes people in a rush to get something up, it will not be 100% 100% factual. And so I never want anything to just be the end. It's like the beginning. It's like okay, well let me go and see what other sources are saying about this, right? Because every every site or every um social media platform is not a news platform. And I think that's what we do sometimes. We take it as, oh, well, this site said it, or this, you know, I was following this on Instagram and it was like, yeah, but they were clearly wrong. And then a lot of times people pick up information from other places without fact-checking it. And so that's why we have it incorrect. So there's, it's never to just stop at the soundbite. And the soundbite is that, it's a bite. Remember that, there's an entire story that is behind that soundbite and that quote. And sometimes you can hear a soundbite and something is taken out of context and you're now, you've misrepresented the person, right? So that's why we gotta be really careful when we do that.
0: Which is why you need writers, which is why you need editors. That's what I'm getting to, right? It's like in this era, right? Where things used to come out once a month or or twice a month or once every quarter, there was more time. Yeah, you didn't get everything as it happened in the moment, but you typically got a, a a a better investigated version of it. Yes, that came with with sources and quotes, and you know, it just it stories just felt a little bit more um, fuller when you finally got it right, and they they tended to make more sense. The other beautiful thing that I think is happening before we shift over is. Um, so you guys may not remember before social media sort of happened albums albums we Swiss albums because I think <laughs> it used to come with art right so all of all of when we talk about like magazines when we talk about like the uh, uh, original versions of like paperback and hardcover books there used to be like just this sort of physicality to it this touch aesthetic and yeah it's fine that Digital doesn't have that same space. I think that evolution has to happen, innovation has to happen. But now you see more people doing visual albums, which is kind of like the the old art that used to come with albums, right? So even as we move away from one thing, our job is to really invent new ways of storytelling that may not necessarily come in the print form but is available for someone to tell what they're trying to tell. Yeah. So that segues now into what you do. Okay. So, um, back in the day, it's like, Hey, I need, if I'm going to tell my story, I got two methods. I'm publishing with a publisher or I am, cause I'm, I'm a Harlem native. Um, okay. I, I get a table <laughs> I got my books out. Right, school bookstore organization that will take me. I will do a book signing. I will do a book conversation, and I I will tour until until I've exhausted my resources or until I've got enough attention to now get a publisher. Mm -hmm. And I and and that used to be the thing. Um, Now you have self publishing. You have hybrid which is a little bit of both you have traditional publishers um and and you're not you're not relegated to producing what a publisher wants you to tell you can in fact now tell your story and push your story out there because you're empowered uh through networks and channels to get that thing monetized so what's your take on Um, the industry right now of
1: self-publishing? Self-publishing is a viable and dope-ass option, okay? Let's just put it like that. Um, So again, respecting and understanding the mediums and what they represent, right? So traditional publishing, I know that's always going to be the beacon for some people. Um, And then you mentioned hybrid, which is a combination of, you know, you can be traditionally published and you can also indie publish indie publishing is evolved is continuing to evolve and, and, and change and the when i got into it in 2015 back then you had to when you were printing your books you had to like go to a printer kick out a couple thousand dollars and at minimum you could do maybe like a thousand books or pay even more to maybe do a smaller print run of like 500 books right but the more books you printed the better it was for your for your for your for your bank account Now it's like when you have publishers like uh, or platforms that help you publish like Ingram Spark, like Amazon, um, like Lulu, it just it puts the like you said, the power back into the author's hands because now they're they may. If you want to do like some of my clients, I'm like, listen, if you want to do a print run of 200 books, you can do that. If you wanted to do a print run of 50 books, you can do that, right? And you don't have to worry about, oh, now I gotta spend thousands of dollars to make that happen. You can do it on a much smaller budget. But the thing that I don't want people to misunderstand about publishing, about indie publishing is this, is that there are still, yes, there, you you create some of the rules, but there are still rules to follow that I like to make sure that my clients follow so that they are putting out a book that looks professional, that because I work with uh, consultants, uh, experts and coaches to write brand building nonfiction books. I want the book to help you build your brand. So you have to be able to, again, going back to storytelling and being able to tell the story, I want you to package the story in such a way that it has life beyond the book, right? Because the book is great and people can pay you your $20 for it, but what you want is life beyond the book. So I, my goal is to really be able to, as a self-publishing consultant, as a book coach and editor to teach you how to do those things so that your, your book has legs.
0: Now, um, you mentioned this idea that uh, in the past with indie publishing, you would uh, purchase uh, X amount of stock of your book mm-hmm. and have that. Um, now, are, are there methods where people don't have to have stock and they can choose how much stock they have and and whatever the system is, uh, whether it's, um, Ingram Sparks or wherever that they also have the capacity to almost drop ship your book for you so that you're not dealing with the I have oh to, have x amount of books on deck I need to um, mail the book out I need post pay postage for the book right. like there systems that allow for you to Absolutely. automate those systems.
1: Absolutely. So with merchandise, it's drop shipping, right? But in publishing, it's print on demand. So Amazon, right, is a print on demand service so that you don't have to have 5,000 books in your basement or in your living room. You can decide, you know what? I have a hundred books. I have them in my closet and I'm going to use these books for events. And i always encourage my clients to always have their own stash of books because you never know when you get an opportunity to speak you can speak on a stage and sell your books at the back of the room right maybe you've been invited to a panel again sell your books at the back of the room right being able to have this and so whether the um, whether it's a large or small event you can always I, I, i'm like listen Ria, you, you you sell 50 books, you got 100 in your closet, you sell 50, let's re-up. The thing for me that I want people to understand is that when you are selling your book yourself, whether it's from your website or from at an event, you you can dictate the price, right? So let's say your book is $20, but you're at an event and you don't want to charge people for they want to buy two books, you can be like, you know what, listen, give me 30 for the two books or whatever deal you work out, right? That is for you to do. When you you do your books print on demand and someone in Nebraska buys your book, you're not going to get your full profit, right? Because Amazon has to take their money because they did their work for like printing your book. But now when you have this stash of books that is already printed, you... $15, $20, 15 dollars twenty dollars whatever you've priced your book at all of that money comes back to you. Uh,
0: two points that I think are are important in just hearing this okay um, and and you can let me know if, if these are right but this is just business points for me right like the first thing is is that you probably should send one book to yourself first to see how that book looks before you start promoting getting it out on Amazon, right? Because I think some people get so excited to get their book out that you actually don't know what the version of your book will look like Mm -hmm. when the person receives it. And that's not to say that Amazon won't do a great job or any of these other places won't do a great job, but you just want to know before you announce this book and where to get the book at that you at least see one physical copy of the book just to make sure that this is what you actually want to promote what's your feelings on that
1: well you don't have to wait until the book is out to promote like that you shouldn't be doing that you should be promoting three to six months in advance so that people are in anticipation of the book what yes. you're talking about is actual getting an actual physical copy of your book to proof and we always want that. We always want to proof the book before we do our 500 copy print run. What if you print the book and you find out that the colors aren't what you expected, right? You expected it to be like this vibrant pink or this really dark green. And the green is looking more like vomit green or the pink is looking right. It's it's too light or it's looking hot pink or it's not giving what you wanted it to give. There's an opportunity to go back and now adjust. Or what if there's a typo on the front, right? What if your name is spelled incorrectly? Like you can go and make those adjustments when you get a proof copy. So I would never, ever let anybody go and just run with a print run without getting that print copy first, that proof first, going through it, so you're doing the Exterior and the interior, and you're just making sure everything lines up, or all the page numbers there, or all the chapters starting on the right hand side, if that's the way you want the book to run. Making sure everything is up to par before you hit print on the 500. Now, now
0: but, but here, but so so then here's my question. So so, so this would be my second question, which is the business part. Okay, right, you said three to six months before your book drops. Mm-hmm. I'm telling people my book's going to drop April 12th, okay. right? When am I getting my proof to make sure that when people, if people have pre-ordered, if people are buying on April 12th, that I actually know and am happy and have made all the adjustments in order for my book to actually be what I want to be delivered. Because not just about the, the idea of, I'm going to order a batch and hold them and use them for book, um, for for uh, speaking engagements or paneling. This mm-hmm. is also the mechanism through which the guy in Nebraska gets my book, right? right. So, how do? How, what time frame do I need before I even tell people my book is going to drop April 12th? Uh, when do I need to proof the book to make sure that my date allows me time? to make whatever adjustments I need to make so that I'm, I'm, I'm being smart as a business person.
1: So what you have to do is you have to now think in terms of production, right? So if your book is dropping on the 12th, you need to be able to give yourself. I like to be able to give three weeks, three to four weeks prior to that date to be able to make sure that you went through your proof copy. Everything is, is up to, your level of production, right? Mm-hmm. That so that you have those things taken care of so that April 12th is not a factor. That okay. your April 12th is when you say it's gonna go live and you have everything uploaded to either Amazon or Amazon or Ingram Spark. And so you're fine on April 12th, right? April 12th is just the date when everyone else can have access to it. But you need to have everything together prior to April 12th. Right, okay. so you can be, you can be selling your books, pre-selling them on your web. You can sell them on your website now. You can sell them on starting in January, right, for for pre-orders. Yeah. But you're going to make sure that three to four weeks prior, and some people don't even have that window of three to four weeks. They might just have two weeks. But yeah. whatever that time frame is beforehand, it really depends on you just working backward. right? See, I come from a magazine background, and even people who work in traditional publishing. And maybe doing um book coaching on or as uh, as as now their business, they think this way too. We know the date when it has to be on the newsstand or the bookshelf, and that's what we work toward, right? We work from that date from the April 12th date backward. We don't work from today's date to April 12th. We we think about oh, this is when it needs to be live. So these are all the things that I need to do before that happens.
0: Um So is Amazon pretty good with like turnaround times and stuff like that? Yeah, um,
1: Yeah. I would say it's roughly it's about like 72 hours. They'll kick it back to you if there's something wrong. You won't even be able to proceed if there is something wrong. So like, let's say, for instance, you upload your book cover. If you upload your book cover and you said it was a five by eight, but the actual art that you submitted was six by nine, you're going to be able to see on the screen. And they're gonna say, uh, we, this cover has some issues. You need to go back and fix them. And they'll tell you exactly what it is. So yeah, so you so you won't even be able to move <laughs> forward without correcting the things that Amazon tells you that are incorrect.
0: All right, cool. So we've talked about your history in editing and uh, magazines, talked about uh, the future and evolution of magazines themselves talked about production. We talked about covers. Now let's talk about the interior, the, the important okay. part of, of the journey, right? It's not just about having a great cover, even though great covers are important. Um, it's also about making sure that, um, that you're telling the story um, and that you're telling the story um, using all best practices, um, making sure that you're, organizing your thoughts in a way that allow for people to understand um, the story that you're telling. Now, I think I asked you this on the last show. Um, So I'm gonna ask this again. Um, What differentiates a memoir um, from other forms of storytelling where the person is the author Discussing themselves. There's sure, a few different versions of it, right? Where, uh, like autobiography, uh, things like that. So, what 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 makes a memoir um, uh, different, and specifically, why is are, is memoir writing uh, a part of your passion in the business?
1: Sure. So autobiography usually starts from like beginning to end of the person's, you know, (laughs) I don't want to say life, but wherever they choose to end the story. Memoir can start from different places in a person's journey, right? So specifically like with my clients that I work with, some of them aren't necessarily household names or popular names or influencers, or they may be thought leaders in their space. So for them, it's about coming to the story from a specific place in their journey, right? So that we're now getting the interest of the, of of the audience. So like for instance, one of my clients, she just recently published um, the, the financial freedom formula. Cause she's a, a millennial money guru. And so, part of her story is in her book, but um, I wouldn't say it takes the traditional memoir title, but it kind of is a hybrid in that she's using her story to inform and educate others while teaching her framework for how to get out of debt. But anytime when you come into a memoir and telling your story, even if you're doing an essay, right, it is from a specific part of your story, a key part Because if you're not if you're not a thought leader or household name or influencer, like why do we necessarily care about your story? So we have to find the thing that is going to be kind of universal and resonate with other people, so that they have an interest in it, right? So if you were um, raised in like I'm I'm reading right now, I'm reading a book called The Token Black Girl, which is a memoir, and I know that her story is going to resonate with uh, women who. And men, for that matter, too, who were raised in like predominantly white um, environments or went to predominantly white schools or prep schools, right. And they were the only black person or the only person of color. There's so much that people who are in those same situations, they're gonna be able to connect with her story because they're gonna they're gonna be like, Dag, yeah, I know what it feels like to be the only one in that situation. So going back to memoir, it's really about coming up with that key that key story and then blowing it out from there.
0: Okay. So what's interesting, uh, about what you said, uh, while you were discussing memoirs is that, um, not everyone's an influencer, not everyone's a celebrity. Right. So, so really what we're talking about is, is, is allowing folks to tell a portion of their story or parts of their stories or curating Moments to to create a point or, or get a message across, um, and those people may be building their platform. So this isn't just so memoirs. Where I think I, I think about them are more like presidents, celebrities, whatever, right? So what you're what you're saying is is that um, that in uh, anyone who's had a lived experience that uh, wants to articulate that lived experience can. Um, partner with a coach like you um, under, uh, understand um, the things that they want to tell and the significance of those things and then create a book behind it?
1: Yeah, I think that one, we need a we have to start with a compelling story and we have to understand what the ends what the end game is. Right. Because if Will Smith puts out a memoir, we want to read it, right? Viola, et cetera, all these different names that we know, we want to read it. So when you are an indie author, we have to come up with the hope. why is someone going to want to read your particular story, right? So let's say it could be a memoir about one of my clients wrote a book, called um, motherhood, all the stuff that they don't tell you, right? Because she has three children that were under the age of five and she just felt like there was so much that her quote unquote mommy blogs and mommy books didn't tell her. So her book is definitely, again, part memoir and part Hey, here's some things that you need to know. So there's a lot of learning going on, but it's it's under the umbrella of motherhood. So of course, if you are a mom, if you're a black mom, if you're a mom of twins, cuz she has twin twin daughters, if you have multiple children under the age of whatever, that story is going to resonate with you. So we got to find that that's that that sweet spot and really make it relevant and interesting to other people.
0: Thank you for that. By the way, guys, um, I was telling her earlier that my birthday was Friday. It completely irrelevant to this episode, but I also have friends staying with me, and as they're hearing this episode happen, they're all coming into the room because <laughs> out- because they're they're interested in the story. Nobody wants to be on camera because they know better, but no one also remembered to turn their volume down. So, guys, uh, no no room tones over here. All right, um, uh, because I think what you're saying, you know there's so many folks who I think want this, right. Who are like, man, I have a story. Like some things have happened. I, I have a tale. Like I have this unique um, lived experience that I would love to uh, communicate. I would love to share. Um, And it's on their vision boards. It's on their life missions. Mm -hmm. Really just don't know where to start. Right. And, 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 And more importantly, I think uh, just in my own experience, uh, authorship in writing can be a very isolating individual experience. Um, And so a lot of people just can't deal with being alone in your own thoughts. Right. Sometimes we're living trauma, sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, Like going through that process. So they start the process and then they stop because it's, it's too much to manage on your own because you have such close proximity to what has happened to you, right? So I'm talking about homelessness and I'm writing about homelessness, but I don't really have a network, a coach, a support system, um, yeah. a writing workshop team to work with where, where I'm, I'm hearing other people's journey. I'm being affirmed to keep moving forward. I mean, I have a deadline, right? I have like uh, written words per day, right? Where there's this accountability infrastructure that is uh, forged in professionalism, but also in love of of just producing a final product that, that when I don't have it, when I don't have that community, this thing can feel, uh, again, individual and isolating and doesn't really allow me to finish it because... It, it just, it, it doesn't, I can't get to the reward at the end because the journey feels so daunting.
1: hmm Yeah, I, I completely agree. You're not alone. That is actually a very common experience. And one of the things that I created earlier this year was this writing and coaching intensive called STEP into your story. And so STEP is an acronym for a framework that I created because I really want you to understand that, yes, it is, it can be this big, overwhelming project, but if you take it piece by piece and you break it down, it doesn't have to be as overwhelming. Now, don't, that's not to say that we should not respect the gravity of writing a book. We absolutely should but when you have community, which is what you talked about, when you have community, when you have people who are working toward the same goal as you, I am trying to write my first book or I'm trying to write a memoir, right? Then you're you're, you're in this community and you're writing it together and you don't feel as isolated. So I've only done one cohort so far. i will stepped into your story. I did it with five women. And the goal is in 12 weeks, 12 weeks, you have a First draft. Now that's not to say you have a beautiful first draft. You just have a first draft of you've gone through your story, and this was really beneficial for me back when I was in like writing boot. They called them boot camps back then. They now it's like it's an intensive, right? Yeah. So in the writing boot camp that I was in back in the day, like I actually had to do my twelve weeks twice to finish my book because uh, I didn't realize like. When they said, oh, you got to turn in 20 pages every week, they really meant turn in 20 pages every week. So in this intensive, I don't have a page count that you turn in every week, but you do have a word count that you need to hit so that by the end of your 12 weeks, you do have the ideal is to have 30,000 words. And that's really important when you have zero words or when you are showing up to uh, a book that you started and you're not really sure where you're going or you don't know what to write for the next chapter or you don't know how to end the next chapter being part of an intensive being part of a community gives you the tools that you need so that you don't feel alone and that you do know the next step uh
0: speaking of word count uh, I just want to ask a, a quick question sure. all right 30,000 right 30 cuz I, I actually I've had a bunch of conversations about this with mm-hmm. different people uh, because, you know, there's all this, so a lot of my friend networks are into their books. Some, some of these guys are in their eighth, seventh book. Um, mm-hmm. Some are in their third, fourth. Some are in their, I just did a digital workbook, and, you know, it was mm-hmm. only X amount of pages. When, when you're typing, like, when, when people are, let's say, using Word or, like, Google Docs or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Thirty thousand words at a five by eight is different than thirty thousand words in an eight by twelve.
1: Absolutely, you're Price not. Gonna, 30, you're 30 not count word it. count
0: and not page count because your page count may not accurately, if it's done in an eight by twelve form, actually right eight and a half by eleven, whatever it is, um, will not actually represent what the book will sometimes look like because you also have chapter heads you also have a different sizing so if you written
1: 11 is going to be super thin for thirty thousand yeah. words and then you have to think okay so am i publishing a five by eight am i publishing a six by nine like those two are like the most common trim sizes for no. a memoir or any other kind of nonfiction. Nonfiction book, right? So when you have 30,000 words, the reason why I encourage that is because you're going to roughly get like maybe 120 to maybe 130 pages. That's a nice little, that's a nice book, right? That's a nice book size. And so if you're doing a digit, if you're doing an ebook, right, then obviously, that's different. And ebooks yeah. can vary for whatever sizes, right? i've I've purchased ebooks that have been two hundred pages with a bunch of links, and they've had like this been multimedia and it's been great. And that's actually what I encourage some of my clients to do as well. If they're working on a workbook or it's a shorter book, right? It's not, they're not going to have 30,000 words. Maybe they're working on some kind of like really quick manual. And so maybe their book is going to be 10,000 words. Maybe it's going to be 8,000 words. And so, yes, those books can be shorter because it has a different kinds of function, right? Most people, I, my clients, I encourage them to do 30,000 words so they can have that book that's about 120 to 130 pages.
0: Absolutely. And I just wanted to, to clarify that because I think that's an interesting approach, right? Because you may look at 30,000 words on eight and a half by 11 and think you're, you're, you're not hitting your mark if you're a first time book writer, but you also need to understand that the form your your the the final form your book will take may not be eight and a half by eleven. It probably will be eight and a half by eleven, right. um, and so therefore, um, you pushing for more and more just for the sake of filling in space. You may actually just need to stop at the moment that you the book feels finished, and then move it over to an editor to figure out what's next for you rather than just trying to fluff in more pages for the sake of having more pages?
1: Yeah, I think uh, uh, one thing that people have a challenge with outside of starting and knowing where to start is they don't also know where to end. So that's one of the first things that I do when I come in as a book coach, right? I come in and we go through your ideas so that you have a beginning, a middle, and an end. You have all these chapters, summaries that you've created so that every time you sit down to write, you know what you need to write. So you know where you're starting and you know where you're ending. And you also know that it's not about the number of pages you have in word or google docs it is about the number of words you have in google docs or in word right because you can have thirteen thousand words and you wrote the them at um with like a 15 point font that's not going to work because we're going to need more words and we're going to need a 12 point font so that you get to your thirty thousand words so you have a nice size <laughs> right and you you it, and again it is about what the function of the book is going to be if we're going if we're gonna do an eight and a half by eleven workbook and you only need 50 pages that might be fine and you might have even less words because maybe it's really like focused on the activities it's focused on the things that people need to execute and maybe that's a piece that now runs alongside your print book because you can do that as well.
0: Or you may have a bunch of affirmations in your memoir that creates more pages, but not necessarily more words.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. One of my um, one of my authors, she released a 30 days of excuse me, 31 day devotional. It's a it's for people. It's called Finding sh- Finding a Strength. Um, Finding Love, Finding Strength After Loss. And it's a 31-day devotional and journal. And she didn't, I don't, that's not 30,000 words. She has like maybe for each day, the format is set up in a very specific way. So like you said, that there are pages that are now um, consumed with like design or or some kind of like, ish, like, um, Thing that involves people to be interactive with it, right? So, for instance, there are journal pages in the book. There's also prayers in the book. There's also pl- places that things that you need to read. But each day starts with day one. Here's a mini story. Day two, mini story, and then you have your additional, you know, journal pages, etc. And I don't think she has thirty thousand words, but the way it was designed, it was designed so that she does have a book that's more than a hundred pages.
0: All right, so T.I., I I have a question for you. It's the two questions that I ask everyone uh, on uh, Man vs. Brand. Now, I don't know if these have changed because some time has passed. So the first thing is on uh, any streaming platform, on uh, any podcast or book that you recently read, what's something Mm -hmm. that you thoroughly enjoyed?
1: Oh, well, since uh, it is something I just finished, I will have to go with um, Rest is Resistance by Trisha Hershey, also known as The Nap Ministry on Instagram. And it is about the importance. It's not just about naps and sleeping, but it is about the creativity, the consciousness that happens when you actually are sleeping, and how this level of productivity go, 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 this sleep when I'm dead, this hustle and grind mentality, how that's not doing us any favors. It's actually destroying our bodies. And where does that come from? So that's like the book that I just finished reading, and it was phenomenal.
0: All right, awesome. I am, uh, this episode is going to come out later, but I'm currently doing for ADHD Awareness Month um, uh, conversations every day on focus, productivity, and goal setting. So I will recommend that book. So we just did a whole thing on rest. I'll recommend that book tomorrow as a book for people to read. So thank you. That was timely. No, All right. So second thing is, um, so on any streaming platform, podcast, or book, what's something that you recently enjoyed that people may not actually associate with
1: you? That they may not associate with me. Ooh. Yeah, like
0: could be a genre, like... Listen, there's a lot of Marvel fans that are out here coaching. There's a lot of cheesy horror folks that's out here. There's some folks that's reading books on mini golf because they want to get there. (laughs) They want to make it through the castle more accurately this time around. I don't know. There's just certain things that people are like, yeah, I may my platform may be this, my personal life may be this, my friendship and family life may be this. But when I get a cold and I'm by myself. I'm, this is what I'm into, and this is what's gonna make me happy.
1: Okay, so that said, I don't know if this fits the bill, but I am obsessed with cults. And um, <laughs> there was that cult show on Netflix tag, The Name is Escaping Me. Um, but Wait,
0: was this the one where the girl from Smallville was in it also? And no. they're like amazing people.
1: That's the one that I'm about to watch next. Okay. But there was one, there's one on um, Netflix where, like, in the women all have to dress a certain way and they've gone, they went through like a couple different leaders. And it just, I really wish I could remember the name of oh, it. Is this the one where the wife goes missing? No, this Oh, was called Keep Sweet. It's called okay. Keep Sweet. That is the name of the, so I like I said, I'm obsessed with cults. And so anything that is like cult related, I'm trying to read a book about, I'm looking at a documentary and anything that comes on any kind of streaming platform, I'm checking it out just because I'm interested in what can make someone, I think, suspend belief.
0: Okay. From,
1: go full full force on something that when when you're on the outside looking in you're like that doesn't sound right how could they even believe that I'm really interested in what makes people um you know people give their money over if you if they there was one that I watched and it was like everybody had to drink up a, a poison so that they could go to the next level and I'm like wow how what what does it take? How do you deliver your message to be so effective to get people to do the thing that you want them to do? So um, I think that that would be be the thing that people might not know about me.
0: Okay, now to be fair, and Uh guys, forgive me for saying this because if anybody knows me personally, you know that I always, if I find someone that is truly influential in the motivational space, the self-improvement space, the spiritual guidance space, I'm always like, you could, you could either be doing this or you could be a cult leader. Cause you find yeah. that they have a lot of the same attributes, right? Highly influential, highly charismatic, build like a ravenous audience that listens to what they say that, um, if there's some, this, if there is, uh, some disconnects in their personal life versus their professional, they're okay with it. So, I I would argue that there are institutions that exist um, that in in the spiritual, motivational, self-improvement space that are not called cults. But when you actually look at the way the organization is formed, the way the organization idolizes the leadership, Mm -hmm. you're like, that kind of gives cult vibes. And I would not be surprised in 10 years if that thing was a cult, right? Because for example, to your point, the whole NXIVM thing was like a leadership. It started out as a leadership like right. boot camp course, right? And so you just never know. And so I, I think it's great because I'm I'm into the cult thing too. Because I'm always I'm always interested in in when influential people decide which course they're gonna take. Mm-hmm. Like, I could lead people to their best selves or I can isolate them from their networks and their families and have them do really strange practices in order to appease a God, in order to become their best self, in order to avert a doomsday or to get to a higher plane of existence. Like, Because that person could have very well win another course and you know built a whole network of support and love and blah 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 blah. because if you could do it in that negative space you could a hundred percent do it in a positive space
1: yeah i definitely agree that people have that ability to make you follow them um, yep. i don't recall off the top of my head what the true definition of a cult is but when you get into certain things where it's like they want you to change the way you dress and want you, to, you can only read these texts that are approved, right? Those are definitely like cult-like behaviors and cult-like activities. And so I don't care who you are. Like I can enjoy your message, but I'm also going to be able to separate what doesn't make sense and sound right to me, right? Yeah. OK, this seems like this is totally left and I need to leave it because, right, the organization that you mentioned, um, I did watch part of that documentary as well, where it was it started as this leadership development thing. But I think as you started to look really closely at it, you could see how it had these had an affiliation or um. Uh, affinity to a cult because of the, of the of, of behaviors of the of things that happen, like people being branded and needing to read like these these books and ascend to these different levels. So there was there was a lot there.
0: All right, so very quickly, I'm going to give you uh, what I just pulled up as a definition of cult, and okay. then I want you to tell people where to find you. This will all be in the show notes, guys. But sure. just so we can hear from her. All right, a cult is a system of religious veneration and devotion directed toward a particular figure or object. The group is focused on a leader to whom members seem to display exec- excessively zealous, unquestioning commitment. Man, that's like, that's like every social media influencer. <laughs> <laughs> like if you just took that like as a definition of a cult, right? And so, so it's always, always been interesting to see that. All right. so. Why don't you talk to us about your platforms? Where can folks reach you? I want I want help with um, writing a book. I I might need some editorial support. I may need um, some support in self publishing and understanding it more. Where can we find you uh, so that we can uh, get in your uh, get with your uh, content? More specifically, we can hire you to support us.
1: Sure. My uh, platform of choice is Instagram. And so I am at Tia Smart Young on Instagram my website is my name it's tiasmartyoung.com and if you go to my instagram and go to my link in bio i have like a bunch of freebies there like there's a freebie that'll help you with your writing voice there's a freebie that's devoted to writing a book called write it already but most of all what you want to do is you want to click the link to get on my calendar so we can have a one-on-one call and see how we can work together
0: all right guys listen if you are considering writing a book If you've already written a book and you're trying to iterate a better version, a different version for your second book, um, if you're in a space where you feel like you have a compelling story, just don't know where to start, um, or if you just think this woman is phenomenal and you feel like her having a conversation with you can get you over the hump of, of, of wanting to be an author. Sometimes we just need someone to affirm us in order for us to start. Right. Sometimes it's not about, you know, um, needing to hear a publisher, uh, needing to, you know, get on a network. Sometimes you just need to hear someone say, I can be both critical and kind. And here's what I believe about what you're trying to do. Um, And when we enter those spaces with trust, when we enter those spaces that are also infused with loyalty and with professionalism, then you don't have to know much about a person in order to understand that their opinion is coming from a really great place. So I would advise you all, um, if you haven't done so, to pause this, press, uh, click off of the Spotify, Apple, wherever you are, go to our Instagram, follow right now, Click the show notes uh, if you can see them. In order to do that, and um, and and start writing your books, man. Like there, oral tradition, us telling our stories, our, our 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 brothers, our sisters, our cousins, remembering us is one thing. But when we have the power to write our stories down, to make them concrete, to have them in the ethos, have them out there in the world, man, there is something so powerful about that. And as much as you know, it's great to have posts on social media and all that, there's something different about cohesively putting that thing together and putting it out there. So if you have a story to tell, I would advise that you start telling it. I'm Dion Brown. I appreciate you all. That's CIS Smart Young. She's way smarter than me and looks younger than me. So that's why she works out. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. I appreciate you. And uh, guys, we'll talk soon. See you guys later. Bye. If this talk resonated with you or could help someone you know, follow me or my guest on all social media platforms. Make sure to look us up on YouTube and check me out anywhere that content like this is being shared. Till next time. Love you. Bye.